Welcome back to our favorite time of the week. It's time for The Chosen Journey with Steve Carsey, Big Money Grip, and Jonathan. Steve, we're on to chapter 67 today. And you probably had an inkling. We have no choice. We got to talk about that MLB All-Star game that just came and went. But before we start, at the time of taping, today is a very, very special day. And funny enough that you're wearing that hat and that color, but you're not wearing the Cincinnati Reds red. That is a Cleveland hat, correct? That is a Cleveland hat. That's right. It's the Guardians uh, a Guardians hat now. But yes, it is a Cleveland, uh, a Cleveland hat. You were walking through the streets of Cincinnati. They may have mistaken it for a Reds hat because today is a special day in Cincinnati. It is considered the new holiday called CES Day. Christian Encarnacion Strand called up by the Reds. Reds fans are rejoicing. Christian has already set a new MLB record by not even having played yet. Do you know what that record would be? I do not know the record off the top of my head. So I was fairly certain that a man by the name of Jared Saltalmachia held this record, but he did not even hold the record, funny enough, and that is the longest name in MLB history. Believe it or not, another twin held that record up until now, Simeon Woods Richardson. But Strand hasn't beat, I believe, by one or two letters. What is with the twins and their long-name prospects? Are they onto something here, Steve? Yeah, I'm not quite sure that's the, the case, but uh, it's nice just to have prospects in general these days and have the opportunity to call up some young players and give them an opportunity to uh, flourish in the big leagues. So, the Twins having their two long-name prospects decided that they're going to keep one, they're going to get rid of the other, and funny enough, the Reds with Spencer Steer for Tyler Mail. Uh, Steer and now Strand, the Reds are just an abundance of riches. Wow. Like, every week it's seemingly they're just calling up another one and another one. Uh, I'm pretty blown away. The one I wanted to look at, because I thought to myself, okay, so I know how they got Strand. I know they got a bunch of these guys. But their biggest fish, Ali De La Cruz, uh, surprisingly enough, did not come highly touted. He was not a bonus baby. Didn't come with the big bucks. Have you ever heard his story as far as how the Reds picked him up? I have not. I have friends who work in the Reds organization, but I've never heard uh, the story uh, on how he was acquired. Tell me if you ever heard this one before. Up in the Dominican Republic, they hear of a highly touted prospect. They go to see the highly touted prospect. Turns out it's a shortstop. But we don't have enough bonus money to go around because of the bonus cap. So even if we want the guy, we're probably not going to get him. But somebody else catches our eye. And you know what? Nobody else wants them. So we picked them up for $65,000 in 2018. But Ellie De La Cruz in 2018 is not the same Ellie De La Cruz in 2023. Believe it or not, at the age of 16, Steve, he was only six feet tall. Now he stands at a whopping 6'5", 200 pounds. Uh, you got to have some good scouting and some luck to find that uh, diamond, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Like, listen, there's not very many of these uh, guys that, uh, you know, sneak through or become a diamond in the rough with all social media and uh, all of these perfect games and, and different tournaments and different things that they run uh, within the United States and, and abroad, obviously. So, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's the it's the mere fact that everybody has a different timetable, right? I mean, starting from youth baseball and puberty and maturation level all the way through the time into their early 20s. Um, you know, you're saying he's six feet at whatever, 16 or 17 years old. And then, you know, he has a late growth spurt and he becomes this unbelievable athlete that, uh, you know, nobody took a, a, a second look at when he was probably 13 or 14 years old, right? I mean, he wasn't highly tattered, as you say. And uh, he just became one of these guys who continued to work, continued to stick with the process. Um, you know, whoever was helping him down in the Dominican Republic, uh, you know, or whatever team uh, took a chance on him. Uh, now they're, you know, getting the results of of the chance that they took. So it's it's these stories that, uh, you know, I try to talk to other people about uh, with my experience in the game, especially in youth baseball. Uh, everybody thinks they're going to get a college scholarship tomorrow um, when you're in 12 or 13 U. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's learning how to play the game, the fundamentals of it, uh, the maturity levels of, of each player, uh, and, and just teaching them the proper ways, you know, not only to play baseball, but how to become good young men uh, in their lives as, as they continue to move forward. And that signing bonus, you know, we, we snicker at it now, considering how much uh, some first-rounders receive. But you're a youth in the Dominican Republic. $65,000 is life-changing money for your family relative to the money you earn out there. It's not that the scouts and the uh, team executives are sitting you know, at the uh, tryouts with a bag full of $65,000 checks that you're just handing out. For every Ellie de la Cruz even that gets uh, such a check, uh, you're going to have hundreds if not thousands of prospects that don't see a dime and never ever get on the radar. I think people kind of you know, don't realize that, uh, you know, if you, you can come here as the making prospect and seem like, you know, wow, look at the tools on this guy. Uh, you're just another prospect over there because that's an Island full of them because they all just want to get off the Island and want to become MLB players. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, they, they see these guys that, uh, they idolize, uh, from the Island that get the opportunity to go and play in the big leagues and have success and have the opportunity. And, and and it's an island of riches. It's those guys, they love baseball down there. Uh, all the islands, you know, Puerto Rico, Dominican, Venezuela. Uh, you know, you're even getting into Panama and, and some of these other, you know, South American countries that, uh, you know, these, these kids see it and they love the game of baseball and they grow up with it. And, you know, all they want is that opportunity. So if there's nothing else to do, then that's what they go do. And, and uh, you know, some of them turn into you know, solid big league players. You ready for the segue in today's topic? Sure. So think about how Ellie found his way to the Reds. Now let's go fast forward to the MLB home run derby, part of the all-star game. We have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. versus Randy Azarena, right? Vladdy ends up taking the derby. You think about both two those guys and where their origins were, came from similar parts but yet very very different vladdy being very highly touted you know being second generational uh not the same way his father when he was first discovered as arena finding his way from cuba to mexico but not a coincidence in my mind as far as their pedigrees as far as where they came from to me it's a lot of hard work time put in and it shows because those were your two home run champs at the derby this year yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, n nothing comes easy. Uh, you know, um, 
at the end of the day, uh, there's those very few who can just, you know, step on the field and are uber talented where they can just go out there and, and be heads and shoulders above the rest. Uh, the other ones are just kids who love the game. They put in the work, they go play. Uh, and then once they get serious about it in their, you know, teenage years, 15, 16, as they become freshmen or sophomores in high school, then you kind of see where you're at and, and who you are as a baseball player and maybe what you can achieve. Um, uh, but the timetable is different for everybody. Some of these boys have to go and have a rough high school and then go to college and learn in college and then ultimately get drafted out of college. Some of these boys are just a little bit bigger and a little bit more talented. And, you know, some of them get an opportunity out of high school to get drafted. And then, as you said before, like, um, you know, it's like anything. I mean, Vladdy Sr., you know, of course, you, you see what type of player Vladdy Sr. is, right, and, and what kind of career he had. And then, you know, I have a son that is always around the ballpark, who loves the game, who grew up in the game, who was born, I believe, in Montreal, and then, you know, just kind of traveled and been with his father and going back to the Dominican and being in the States and then in Canada. Like, they're just recognized because his dad was a big league ball player. And, you know, when your dad's a big league ball player and you – play the game as a youth, um, you know, it, it's noticeable because you've just grown up around the game for such a long time and, and you've had an experienced person teaching you the game. So sometimes, you know, the way life works, that's uh, an advantage. And, you know, there's a lot of kids whose dad played in the big leagues who don't play baseball and they go off and do their own thing. So uh, it's an individual, you know, passion and what they love. So uh, there's many different roads. It's you know, like the chosen journey, right? We talk about it all the time. There's different paths to get to the same point and not everybody has the same path uh, to the end result. And, and that's what I love about this show and, and what it's all about is, you know, you work hard, you can achieve a lot of really good things in your life. It just may take a little bit longer than some other people, but uh, the longer you grind, uh, you know, the more you're able to get there. You ever uh, spent time with Victor Martinez offhand? Uh, no, I have not spent much time with him. Uh, obviously, I know of him. I'm with the Cleveland Indians organization, uh, switch hitter, and had a tremendous career. But, uh, uh, you know, got to watch him play quite a bit, but never spent very much time around him. Well, Victor must have been listening to your story because he's got a guy in his household by the name of Victor Martinez Jr., who's apparently going to be the next big thing. And so he's grooming his son and uh, you know, hearing his passion about his, his son and the time he puts in and talking about how front office opportunities were there for him. I was looking to an interview with him about a couple of weeks ago and he said, uh, this is my priority right now. It's my boy. I'm never going to get at that time again. Sound familiar, Steve? Yeah, it's very familiar. You know, like when you play this game and you have to travel and, uh, you know, you have children and they get to an age where they have a passion and they want to do something like their dads did or they want to be taught uh, the proper way to play the game. Like, how can how can you not like how can you just how can that thought not go through your mind of uh, helping, you know, your flesh and blood, your boy or your girl, whoever it is, achieve what they want to achieve after you, you've achieved and, and, and gone through what you've gone through to get there. Um, you know, it's a blessing. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And 
you know, when guys have the opportunity to do that and they take advantage of it, it's kudos to them. Not everybody can make that decision and do that, but, uh, you know, there'll be time for, for other things as, you know, they get into their own and they grow older and they, they go off and do whatever, whatever it is they're going to do. But at least you've been able to spend the time with them. You've been able to put in the work. You've developed that relationship and that bond and that love that will last a lifetime. And this is just not baseball alone. I mean, in world of sports, basketball, football, hockey, you hear about second, third generation uh, stars. And then from there, you know what? Uh, accounting, my accountant, he's he's a third generation accountant. It's, it's him, his father, his brother, they all work together. I'm a second generation lawyer. So whatever your profession is, it could be the car business. There's something about following in your parents' footsteps. If that's what you like, that's what you've been around. And if you so happen to be around an MLB clubhouse, you know what? Even better. Uh, one useful or useless stat, uh, I'll bring it back to the uh, home run derby. Uh, the Guerreros are now the first ever father-son duo to win the derby. Ken Griffey Sr. never won a derby as far as I know. I don't believe it was around in his day. Uh, if it was, it was just starting up. But uh, Valley Sr. won it in 2007 at San Francisco AT&T Park. Um, some more useless stats or useful stats as far as uh, showing around. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, who we were you know, debating, is he going to make it in, not make it in? I figure with injuries, he's the hometown star. He'd have to. So he set the record for the first round, 41 home runs. Extremely impressive. Uh, Arez Arena actually had the most home runs the other night, 82. And, you know, he does his Jazz Arena stance. And who is the all-time leading home run hitter at the Derby? Vlad Guerrero Jr. He's not from any island as far as I know, believe it or not. It's Pete Alonso. Oh, Pete Alonso. 195. Yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. So all-time leaders, we got Pete Alonso, and then we got Vladdy Vladdy, uh, Jr. and Rodriguez Pujols. You know, the names just go on and on. I got to ask you, though, Steve. Um, watching it year after year as it's coming around, do you get excited for the Derby as it lost a little bit of its luster in your estimation? What's your take on the Derby? Cause you know, I have strong opinions and I definitely have mine. Uh, yeah, listen, I enjoy it now that Kingston is uh, old enough and he knows what it's all about. He really loves watching it and enjoying it and, uh, and, and talking about it. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where the fans love it, right? So when the fans love it, and I don't know, uh, I'm sure you watched it, but if you didn't, you look at the stadium and it was packed, like fully packed for a home run. And then, you know, what Adley Rushman did from hitting from both sides of the plate, uh, you know, starting out lefty and then in the next round or finishing up after the timeout, hitting right-handed and going, what, seven for eight or eight for eight? Uh, he just was up against a, a monster in the first round and, and lost by one. But what a show he put on. And, and you know, what a tremendous talent uh, overall. Um, I read a stat the other day where I think he's the only catcher in Major League Baseball that hasn't allowed a pass ball this season. So uh, it's it's really impressive to, to see, you know, him do what he's doing and, and be one of those highly talented guys that, has the opportunity to uh, showcase himself at the all-star game. As a fan of the game and as someone that studies the history and, and everything, the one item always sticks in my head. If it was my team and my player, I don't want them going out there. I don't know. I know there's that old 
folklore about it messing with your swing and how guys that do well at the derby afterwards are not hitting home runs after the all-star break. I, I don't know. Watching it the other day and thinking about it, the one thing is I do enjoy it as well as a fan. I remember seeing the one in Pittsburgh that year, which was a few years back now. We're talking probably almost 10 years ago. And the crowd went bananas. Uh, every single pitch, everything. And you can tell the guys on the field are loving it. It just feels very, very long. You know, the last one that really captured me was the Josh Hamilton one. And what, what he put together, I believe it was in Yankee Stadium, if I'm not mistaken, that one. And after that, it just felt like it's getting longer and longer and longer. I wish there was a way as far as not having, you know, the guys going off and eating 70, 80 home runs, making it a little more challenging. I don't know how they can do it, but just kind of shortening it up a bit. Because again, if I'm a GM, I'm a team owner, and I'm watching my guy eating 70 home runs in such a short time, I'm like, uh, this can't be good for him. I mean, am I am I overthinking this thing, or is there any health concerns from you think from the coaching and owner perspective on these players participating? No, I don't. I don't personally see it that way. I think these guys are in good enough shape in the middle of the season. You're not asking them to do it in spring training and take these type of swings, and their bodies aren't, uh, you know, accustomed to swinging or taking that many swings during a day. So, uh, you know. Three minutes is a fairly long time, but that's why they get a timeout. They get to take a break. And as you watched it the other night, um, you saw most of the guys hit for a minute and a half and take the minute or minute and 20 break and then go back and hit for a minute and a half. So, um, you know, they're taking about the same amount of swings as they would in BP, but just not in a row. So, again, I think accustomed to it, I think some guys uh, have that – folklore of uh you know i don't really want to get in this because it's going to mess my swing up but once soto did it uh you know his swing was messed up before he went to the derby went to the derby did great won it and then went off in the second half so it could be uh it could be a blessing too uh on the other side and that's a great point about the bp because at the end of the day if you really are taking the same amount of swings and you you think about it you know anybody's ever gone to watch bp uh, a lot of the guys up there, they, they're trying to put on a show <laughs> and uh, no, not much difference. So thank you for bringing up that point. Uh, now, getting to the game itself, we actually had a game for once and not a yeah. 15 to 12 game. And I don't know what happened, Steve, but apparently the NL actually figured out how to win one. You know, how many years yeah. has it been? It's been since 2012. I know, 11 years, right? It's yeah. crazy that... A, a, a league could have that good of a run uh, no matter, you know, what league it is uh, to win, you know, that many all-star games in a row uh, is, is a pretty impressive thing to do. What was with the NL? Like trying to understand, you know, the fact that we have interleague play, free agency, I mean, AL, NL, you know, uh, abolishing uh, the, you know, uh, the pitchers hitting, so, you know, it becomes almost interchangeable now, regardless of which league division you're in. Watching year to year, do you think it became like a mental thing or just luck? What was it about the NL that took them this long to get the monkey off their back? I just think, I really do think it's random. I think it's how they construct the rosters, who's available each year, uh, you know, whether to hit or to pitch or who bows out. Um, you know, I, I don't put too much stock into this league's better than that league or just because they win, you know, uh, but I know everybody goes there to compete. So it's not like one team's rolling over for the other. And then you got to go back. Uh, and I don't know if it was before this streak started, but 
um, when they had the all-star game determine home field advantage in the world series. So that was uh, another major component of that. And, um, you know, obviously that, that went away, but, uh, you know, it was nice to see the national league, uh, just compete and, and have a chance to win. And obviously they were down two one until the eighth inning. So, you know, until Diaz hit that home run and, and put them ahead three, two, and, and they had the opportunity to, uh, to pull it out. And, you know, it's usually the hitters, you know, everybody says the hitters have the advantage and you know what the pitchers were on and you know what, there's been a lot of great for all the great hitting stats this year. There've been a lot of great pitchers, uh, a lot of unsung pitchers, and they all came through for the most part. And, you know, uh, I, I love personally watching a two, one game, a three, two game. And as a baseball purist, more that excited me versus those 13 to 12 games. So that was really to see a real ball game. Uh, who got the biggest uh, ovation and chants in this game? Did you notice? Oh, Tani. And the chant was? Come to Seattle. Come to Seattle, exactly. Uh, he, I think he's getting that pretty much every city he goes to right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're talking about uh, a unicorn or a once-in-a-generation type player. I mean, this guy, he's unbelievable. Uh, he's just... He's, 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 Something that, you know, I hope that people who love baseball, who enjoy baseball, uh, who follow baseball, truly take in what they're seeing because they may never see this for a long, 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 long time. This guy is the best player in baseball, hands down, with what he's able to do on the field, both offensively and defensively, or pitching, I should say. I mean, he very well could get be the home run leader this year. I mean, who would have guessed that? And as a starting pitcher, the lowest uh, batter's opponent average in the AL. Wow. I think he has a three-year array at this point. It is unbelievable what this man is doing. And sports radio is clogged up with the rumor. Because we're going to talk about him pretty much every week now going forward. But the Angels have come back. We are now prepared to listen. We're not going to listen before, but we're prepared to listen. What does that mean? Somebody knocks on your door. I want to buy your house. Get lost. I'm not selling my house. They knock again. I want to buy your house. I am not interested. Get lost. Knock again. All right. I'll listen. Doesn't mean I'm selling my house. Uh, just listening. You know, if I, if I was the angels, I would say, listen, any team, just give me your double a team. Just farm me off all 25 guys and ship them over. You know what? Give me the whole franchise. I'll just take the whole franchise. I'll take the field. Cause you know, for example, living in Toronto and you know, you're listening as far as the different divisions go and the different teams. When you have, when your cupboard is bare from prospect, you don't have one single top 100 prospect. It's, it's a fool's dream. Like you're going to get multiple top 100 prospects. I'm seeing at this point, uh, if I if I was a betting man and I had to tell you this one team, and I can tell you I can see it happening because I don't think the Angels are going to move them, but if they did, it's got to be the Rays at this point. They have the most amount of prospects. They have the most ambition to do it out of the box. I think they're going to hand them like seven prospects if they had to, and I think it's worth it. Yeah, well, I would I would call you on that uh, if we were playing poker, and I would say that Baltimore has probably better prospects than the Tampa Bay Rays uh, to offer up what they want to offer. And Baltimore is one game behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the AL East. So like that is, again, who knows what's going to happen? Like 
you know, it, it comes down to what the owner wants to do. I mean, everything's going to have to go through the owner. The GM is not making this trade. I can promise you that. He will call and he will listen and he'll get calls and he'll put together uh, the offer sheets. Uh, but he will have to go to Artie Moreno and say, here's what we could get for Shohei. Do we want to do this? And then it will be the owner's call whether he wants to make that trade. In a pure baseball business standpoint, in my opinion, they should trade him and get whatever they can get back in a deal for their franchise to move forward. That's just a pure baseball business standpoint. Now you take everything else into effect and, uh, you know, that just probably is not going to happen. You know, it's like trading Babe Ruth, right? It's you're trading the best player in the game of baseball. And obviously he's a free agent. And I think behind closed doors, they're probably talking to his agent and him and seeing how much of a chance that they have to re-sign him or to get him back to stay in Anaheim. Because if he's out the door, if he's already got one foot out the door and the angels know that it becomes a lot easier to trade that and to set up your franchise for a possibility to, uh, you know, win for five to seven more years down the road when you can get not only prospects, but I feel like you get two high end players in return that are controllable, that are young and that have already had success in the big leagues. I got to ask you because I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but very different eras, you know, went back when the Red Sox, uh, uh, you know, decided to sell Babe Ruth because they were funding a play, a uh, theater play at the time. How many years, it was different times back then. I think you're, you're control, you control, back then you control the player for life pretty much. There was no ifs or buts. Yeah. The very different circumstances. Here, it's at best half a season or so. And, uh, but still, if you think you're going to make that playoff run, there's ever one player who can make a difference on both sides. It's, it's Otani. Now you our angels keep them. They lose them. They're, they're going to get the equivalent of a first round pick, which who knows what that's going to be. If, if it's me and I'm, I'm trading him. I want five prospects. That's my starting point. You got to give me five prospects. You got to give me two off your, off your current uh, MLB roster. And then the rest off your 40 man. It's and the Sunday may not even be on the 40 man yet. They might be in single A, double A, but I want five of your basically give me your top 10 prospects and I'm picking out five of them. Not many people can come to that table because simply the amount of prospects out there and are they willing to stomach it? Like, let's say the like Reds, we use this example Reds, you know, having a fantastic season for what they are, many prospects coming up, you know, they can hand them a Dela Cruz, they can hand them a Matt McLean, an Abbott, but when you don't have enough components. Otani is not going to make that difference. You know, if you're thinking you're that close, are you prepared to mortgage your future? It's big decisions. Just you're up against Artie Moreno. And there's one thing that he does not have in his vocabulary in a third. Yes. He likes to say no to trading any of his players because he wants to win. He did not, he came very close to preparing to sell in the franchise. He said, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it to the city. Couldn't do it to myself. I want to keep doing this. I think the guy's just too competitive. He can't let it go. And, um, especially while they're still in contention, but the odds are not very good in their favor. It's just, it, it's, it's a damn hard feeling when you see that player walk away for one prospect. But on the other hand, if you let them go and you see them excel somewhere else, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough uh, 
feeling when you're put in that position. And there's not many teams that are put in that position as the Angels. But on this on the same token, they're not showing their hands at all. Nobody has any clue. I think if the deal does go down, it'll be one of those, it'll just happen in the middle of the night and we'll never see it coming. Yeah, no, you're probably right about that. That's how that's how, that's how these type of deals are made. You know, the two that I go back to that when they were in their prime and they were just dominating the game was the Andrew Miller trade from the Yankees to the Cleveland Indians in 2016. And, and, and the Indians came close in 2016 to winning that World Series. The, the Cubs took them out in seven in extra innings. And then the other one, uh, because that's that was four for one, I believe, uh, and big time prospects and guys who had good arms. And then the other one was uh, Chapman from the Yankees to the Cubs, right? So you know, you know what they got to get Gleyber Torres. Uh, you know, they got they got a haul from the Cubs in in that trade, and that was four or five for one. So obviously, you're talking a different animal because Otani pitches any hits, but that's where that extra player comes in or those guys that are already big league ready that can just step in for the angels that are controllable and uh, help that team win and, you know, moving on in the future. The hall I thought you were going to say when you said Andrew Miller, I thought you were going to mention the Marlins deal at the time back when Miggy Cabrera and Dontrell Willis were traded mm -hmm. and the hall that the Marlins got back. Basically Detroit said, here's the list of our uh, prospects. Take what yeah. you want yep. and even pick whatever you want. Take all of them. And you know what? It, they still didn't get much of a haul at the time. You know, it just the way it works out. Miller ended up uh, becoming a, a very good player, but down the road, not as a starter, but as a reliever. Uh, I'm trying to think of who the batter was off the top of my head. Uh, it wasn't McCutcheon, but uh, um, they, they had an outfielder that was part of it as well as a prospect. And he developed later on. So even when you get, like you get top-notch chemist prospects, you still never know. But it was a different creature. It was more of a salary issue at that time with Cabrera. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, if I'm going to say that uh, I'm the Angels, when I look at that trade, I'm saying that's the kind of haul I expect to receive. Right. To receive. Let, let, let's let's have a little bit of fun here, okay? Sure. sure. All right. Always. So Shohei Otani, right? He's with the Angels. They don't make the playoffs. He leaves as a free agent. They get a first-round pick. Is a first-round pick worth Shohei Otani by trying just to get to the playoffs? Or, I don't know, let's just – we're going to call it what it is. I'm just going to use this because I've used this before and it's off the top of my head. Um, say the Yankees call the Angels and say, hey, we'd love to have Shohei. And we will give you – again, this is my – Make-up trade. We will give you Oswaldo Cabrera. We'll give you Volpe. And we'll give you three of our top 100 prospects. Which one makes more sense? To trade him to the Yankees to get that haul of five players who two are already in the big leagues and getting three that might have a chance? Or take your chance on him leaving, signing elsewhere, and you getting a first-round pick? I take the five prospects and sign them in free agency afterwards. <laughs> That's me. But well, uh, you'd have to pull him away from the Yankees after you trade him there, right? If he's willing to come back, I mean, that might be that might be the case. Isn't that what uh, Chapman did? But let me ask you this: uh, there's a talk because for those of us, very few of us, that ever played on a major league field. I am not one of them. You are. 
there's a team that does trade for the player. He gets to experience the clubhouse, gets to be in a pennant race with them. Do they get any sort of advantage at that point when it's time to sign them? Doesn't hurt, right? It just depends on the player. It really does. You know, I mean, if if I'm a GM and I'm talking to a player about a trade, I'm being like, hey, listen, I can give you the opportunity to go to a different team, have the opportunity to get to the playoffs, experience the playoffs with what you want. I can get players back in return. And then if you're open to it, we'd be willing to sign you back at the end after we get these players back. Some guys like that. Some guys don't. Some guys are put off by getting traded. So the more communication I think that you can have with that player, and you're not going to let the player make the decision by any means, but if that player is willing to go and experience and want to win um, and then, you know, come back at a later date and have a chance to win with that team that he originally is with, why not? I'll give you one more strategy. Because, you know, the Seattle fans, I'll give it to them. They had the All-Star game, right? They were doing the chance. So I'm the team owner of the Mariners. I call up Ichiro Suzuki. I tell him, Ichiro, I'm giving you $100,000 right now. I need you to make a phone call for me. And you're successful in recruiting him over here. There's a $5 million bonus for you. How much do teams that have franchise icons like to use those icons to help attract players? I know the Yankees love doing that. That's called tampering. Ooh. That you are not allowed to do. No, but during free agency. During free agency. Uh, okay, different Sorry, story, sorry, sorry. I meant story. during free agency. Okay. Sorry. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I don't endorse tampering. Uh, so, yeah, different story. Once a guy becomes a free agent, there's definitely guys that will, you know, have conversations and try to sell uh, that player to coming to a certain place. I mean, that player already has ideas of where he wants to play anyways, going into free agency, if that's where he's already at. But, uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't hurt that uh, you have, you have recruiters in your corner to try to bring him to a, to a certain place. I mean, I think that happens all the time when in any sport, to be quite honest with you. And again, that's when a guy is a free agent, and he's, you know, open to signing anywhere as opposed to doing it during a season and trying to do that. And again, Steve Carsey, Chosen Lawyers, The Chosen Journey, do not endorse tampering with free agents. <laughs> no, that's a no-no. That is that, not allowed. No, that's not cool. And that tends to attract fines, forfeiture of draft picks, and all sorts of great, great stuff as teams have learned along the way. Steve, this was a lot of fun. You know, we never know which direction we're going in. We start with the Reds. We start with uh, second-generation stars. We go to the All-Star game. We go to derbies. And we end up with uh, trying to figure out Shohei Otani. I figure this will happen to us quite a few weeks for, for the next little bit. But you're a purist, right? You're a baseball purist. I like to think I am. As you, as you call yourself, right? Yes, yes. All right. So I have a baseball purist question for you that I would love for you to dive into as the show is ending. Okay. Okay. I want you to touch on, cause I have my opinion on it. I want you to touch on the all-star game since we talked about it and the uniforms that the national league and the American league wear. Are you a fan of having it a singular national league team, a singular American league team, or 
the way it used to be where you come to the game and you bring your own team uniform and each individual team uniform is represented on the field when you're playing. So when you have Jackie Robinson day and everybody has Robinson and the number on the back gets very, very confusing for me. If everybody was to bring their own uh, uniform, it gets quite confusing for me. This is one change, and I'm shocked they didn't do it back in the day. You're right. But that is one change I liked because American League should have their jersey and they should have their jersey. It's easier to spot everybody. It feels like it's more of a thing. Everybody's got their uniform. It feels like it's official. I remember owning all-star jerseys in the past. I am for all-star jerseys for AL and L. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely, yes. I am complete opposite of you. Yep. I think you represent your team. If I'm Garrett Cole, I want my pinstripes on, and I want number 45 on my back. And when I'm standing on the mound, I want you to know I play for the New York Yankees, and I'm Garrett Cole. If I'm Shohei Otani, I want you to know that I play for the Anaheim Angels, and here's my uniform, my white uniform. And when you're on the field, it's very easy to spot who is who with the uniform on. So why don't we make one of those lovely, you know, uh, um, split Joker style jerseys where you have the pinstripes on the left side or right side and the all-star colors on the other side and make these hybrid jerseys and just completely destroy them. You know what I would love to do? I'd love for you to put a poll out to our listeners and ask them, what they would prefer. Do they prefer the singular jersey that says American across the front or national across the front, whatever it is, or old school and like the particular team to be represented on the field during a game? All right, the poll is out there, folks. Steve is putting up the challenge. Do we like representing your own team or do you want the ALNL style jerseys? What you're not allowed to vote for is the all-cotton blend that George Costanza endorsed in Seinfeld because once you put those cotton jerseys through the dryer, you got some shrinkage, and that's not fun. So that's not going to happen. But I'll be curious to hear what people have to say about that one. That's a good point, Steve-O. Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to hear the feedback because, uh, you know, your answer shocked me with being a purist that I thought you would definitely – go with each individual guy should have their own team jersey and i was sure you loved the <laughs> having the the separate uh leagues and having their own uniforms and special for the all-star game i thought you'd like to look at that so we surprise each other sometimes absolutely and stay tuned for next week because we'll surprise you yet with another topic and you won't see this one coming on the chosen journey absolutely thanks again see you soon thank you for your insights as always